It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Baseball is Good. My name is Corey Engelhart. I am the host. This is the 38th episode, if people are counting, and who's counting? But um, uh, my guest tonight is a writer, participant, um, I guess I don't know the correct term even, uh, with a couple of websites that are Minnesota Twins-focused, typically, Twins Daily, where I've had a, more than a number of people involved with that site on in the past, and Puckett Pond, who I've also talked with a few contributors to the site. Uh, my guest name is John Olson, and I'm excited to have him on. I'm going to bring him on here, and we can we can get to the other introductions and get the show started. So um, I hope you enjoy. One moment. John, are you there? I am, Corey. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for your time. Um, uh, did I did I describe that right? What would you say your um, your connection is to Puckett's Pond and Twins Daily? Or would you call yourself a contrib yourself a a writer? How how are you involved with those websites? Well, i I think the I think the correct terminology for the Puckett's Pond connection is I'm a Officially now a volunteer contributor for Puckett's Pond, and uh, I write the 463 blog on uh, Twins Daily. Oh, cool. Okay. So, yeah, that was that was one of the things that I, I kind of had one of the first questions I had for you when we've been chatting about this this podcast and talking, talking together. Um, you – I'm really interested in your Twitter handle, which is at um, – four six three because you said there was a story behind that why you picked your blog title name and your twitter handle and i was curious what what that story was what you want to give as far as a description of of your twitter hand twitter handle and your blog title yeah so uh four six three and um it's it's i guess kind of slightly veiled i guess but uh um, the story of the 463 really comes down to my dad and I. Uh, my dad, not much of a baseball guy, but uh, continually has an opinion on Joe Maurer specifically. And uh, I myself am a, a big Joe Maurer guy. And uh, every time, doesn't matter good or bad, whether or not the Twins win or they don't, it always comes down to my dad saying, uh, Joe Maurer again leads the team in four six threes. So <laughs> it doesn't matter what I throw at him, whether or not I'm telling him who he's passing on leaderboards or um, what he's contributing, and you know anything else. It's always yeah, but he leads the team in four six threes. So I felt like taking that moniker of derision and turning it into something more positive. So that's really <laughs> where the four six three comes from um it's a joe mauer reference i think even 
uh, Brandon Warren, when he's answered my questions on uh, another podcast, uh, has mentioned that it it sounds like Joe Mauer's burner account, and there's you know a little bit of you know maybe truth to that, but um, that that's the story behind the four six three. I love that. Like I, I love that story as far as I think baseball to a certain extent really um the thoughts and emotions that people can have it brought out are the relationships between family and the connections that you have because of you, your relationship with your dad for baseball. And I, I, I just think that's part of why baseball in itself is such a great sport in many ways because you, you, you wouldn't necessarily have that connection and something to talk about and something for your dad to complain about if you were watching bowling in the same sense or another activity. And that's, that's why I think it's so great. I really like that story. No, it's uh, it, it's pretty fun, and like I said, my dad is much uh, much more into like uh, the Minnesota Vikings, for instance. But he he knows to get my goat is really to take the Joe Mauer angle, and it's something that we can share uh, just in the baseball realm. So it's it's kind of fun for both of us to to have that little connection. He gets my goat, and I'm able to spew a few things back his uh, his way. So sure, well, yeah, that's great. I. I love that. I'm I'm curious then too because I know uh, we're we're chatting at eight o'clock central because you don't live in Minnesota right now. I'm, I'm curious did did you grow up in Minnesota? Are you are you from the Midwest? Um, or in other terms, how how are you a fan of Minnesota sports? I guess uh, I grew up. Uh, I was born in Bemidji. I grew up in East Grand Forks, and I uh, graduated high school from Brainerd. Uh, my wife and I both went to St. Cloud State, so uh, for college. So um, yeah, I'm I'm from Minnesota originally. I live uh, currently in the Richmond area of Virginia. So um, yeah, I'm I've been out here for almost six years, uh, but still very involved and passionate with Minnesota sports. It's it's kind of part of your blood. I don't think it ever goes away. Sure, Bemidji. I love it. My my parents went to college in Bemidji, and I have cousins that went to Saint Cloud State, and I love both of those areas of the state. To be quite honest, what what um how how long did you live in Bemidji? I'm just curious on a personal level. Uh, well, I I was born there, quickly moved away, and then I came back after I graduated college for a few years. I think I lived there total for about four years uh, before I left for Richmond. So. Um, yeah, it was it was probably total. If you split it up, about five total years I spent in Bemidji. The majority of the time uh, I spent was in East Grand Forks. So, um, but I love Northern Minnesota. Love Central Minnesota. Uh, really, it's where our heart is anyway. Sure, my dad grew up in Ada, so it's not far from where you you lived on oh, yeah. that side. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm very familiar with that that area of the world too, but. Um, what year, what years did you go to St. Cloud State? I have a cousin that's probably listening and he's, uh, probably very curious right now. Uh, well, I mean, that's another story in and of itself, but actually I graduated high school in 2001 and, okay. uh, I joined and I joined the army and I didn't get out of the army until 2011. So I didn't graduate okay. college until 2012. Uh, 2013, okay. I had to finish up a couple of semesters because I originally went to Bemidji State, 
for my first sure. couple of years. And then uh, after that, moved back to Bemidji for a couple and uh, yeah, then left to, to go work elsewhere. Wow, that's uh, that's a really cool timeline in a lot of ways. Yeah, thank you for your service, but an interesting little break, I suppose. So, sure. Well, and I I know just for me, I can't speak for anybody else, but I know for me, like I I think a lot of people like to think that they are ready for college, which can be a full time job in its own sense when they're eighteen years old. And I know I I wasn't ready to study and give full-time effort for college at 18 and I have to imagine going back to school when you are not 18 is a different experience hanging around or being around 18 19 year olds I would I would have to think I guess oh yeah after I mean, the experiences you've had I yeah I, I went to college for about a year and a half at Bemidji State I decided it wasn't for me so I joined the army and then I spent several years in the army and then I came back I think I was whatever I was 28 years old when I Mm -hmm. finally went back to college and it's a completely different atmosphere when you come in to college at 28 as opposed to 18 so you know you're you're sitting there and uh, you're much more focused as opposed to the other distractions that you can have so yeah it was a different Mm -hmm. experience but you know I think I actually gained a lot more out of it by going back later as opposed to what I probably would have gotten, you know, in my early twenties. Yeah, I know I did. I, I, I took, I think it was about five and a half years to finish college. And towards the end, I was, I was a much better student than I was at 18, 19. It's just, I I think I was not ready to do that at that point in my life. And I was much more prepared at 22, 23. And maybe that just is what it is. I I don't know, but I, I think that's fairly common. Sure. So yeah, what brought you from St. Cloud, Bemidji area to Richmond, Virginia? What 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 brought you out to that area of the world? Uh well I'm an air traffic controller by trade, so as uh as work goes you have to get kind of specific and flexible with the locales in which you're you know, able to travel. So um I work at a tower in the Richmond area uh, as an air traffic controller. So, um, yeah, that's that's ultimately what brought me down here was uh, the opportunity to work in an air traffic control tower. Wow, that's awesome. And so what it, what it, is it like a – I guess I'm curious. I don't, I don't know much about that trade as far as what it entails other than I saw all of Breaking Bad and so yeah. what happened in yeah. one of the seasons there, and that's all I'm really comparing it to. Like, is it a – 40 hour a week, nine to five, or is it random hours or what is, what is your job like? Uh, well, I, I mean, just a, a brief overview. Uh, again, uh, keep in mind that I'm an hour ahead of you there in central mm-hmm. time. So I, I work shift work ultimately. So, you know, the tower is, uh, all day and all night. So, uh, I woke up, I think, at four o'clock this morning Eastern, and I plan on talking to you for the next hour. So, I mean, it, it can take you, you know, your your hours are sporadic, and uh, ultimately, I feel it's pretty rewarding. I get to, you know, um, sequence planes, landing clearances, the whole bit. So it's uh, it's involved, and it can be stressful, but it's very rewarding. No, yeah, I I have no doubt that that is the case. I'm just 
I, I don't know that I've ever spoken to someone in your profession. Like what, what, um, what was the interview process or uh, process like as far as getting into that field? Was it something you learned when you were in the army? Was it, was it something that you went to school for to get to that, that point? Uh, both actually. Um, okay. I did do it in the army for a little while. Uh, I didn't start in that profession, um, but uh, later on I, I trained in it uh, my last few years in the Army, um, deployed to Iraq doing it, and uh, came back. Uh, St. Cloud State at the time had a uh, great um, air traffic control uh, program, so I decided to go to college for that, and uh, ultimately Afterwards, I was able to apply and hang on with a, a, a job working with a, a contract company who does air traffic control at uh, small airports. So, so that's where I ended up latching on to the profession because by the time I had gotten out of college, I was too old to get in with the FAA. So I was uh, limited in my options, I suppose. So. I ended up uh, getting a contract tower job working at a smaller airport in uh, Virginia. Cool. So you said you were too old? I guess I'm, I guess I'm surprised at that. What, what does that mean? Uh, the FAA has a requirement that you can't be, by the time you're hired, you have to be younger than 31 years old. So if you're older than 31 years old by the hire date, uh, you're ineligible to apply. Uh, and myself being, uh, I'll be 35 in about a month. So, um, yeah, I was too old to apply at the point. I wouldn't have met the higher date criteria. So my options were limited to either giving it up on the whole or uh, try and explore different avenues. Sure. So the, does that mean necessarily – so is it only smaller airports? If you were if you were going to uproot and move to another area of the country, would it be a smaller airport that you could work at, or how how does that hire? Or is Richmond where you're thinking you're going to stay? Like how how does that work as far as moving around or finding different jobs to to aspire to? Sure. Um, no, there's plenty of smaller airports, and generally that's where you would end up because the the FAA or the Federal Aviation Administration, they run the, the larger airports, your MSPs and whatnot. Um, the, those places are going to be run by the federal government. But uh, the smaller airports like St. Cloud Municipal, for example, that is a smaller airport that still has uh, commercial airplanes and it's run by a contract company. So, um, you know, St. Cloud Muni, for example, would be a place that I'd love to be able to move back to Minnesota and get you know, in with something like that. It's just an opportunity thing. Sure. Well, good luck if that's what you're shooting for. I don't know if you're wanting to move now or move 10 years from now, but good luck to whatever you're aspiring to do with, with that. That's really interesting. I love hearing about this. Yeah, I appreciate it. Is there, so is there like, what is your day entail? Is it is it all like kind of, I guess what is what does your day entail whenever you start? Like, is it just plane after plane? Is it how do what do you do at your job? I'm I'm curious if you want to give a a little description. 
<laughs> sure. Uh, no, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm not being, or if I'm not divulging enough, I guess. But uh, no, no I, ultimately, I don't even know what to ask. I guess. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, ultimately, what my day would entail would be um, going to work, receiving a shift change from the prior shift, which would be, you know, them outlining uh, what the traffic density is and where my planes are. So when I assume shift, I could take over the amount of aircraft in the air. Um, after that, you know, we would continue to, you know, land aircraft, taxi aircraft and whatnot to their designated spots, wherever they're supposed to go throughout the day, uh, get clearances, interface with other, um, air traffic control facilities, depending. And, um, at the end of the day, I, I outbrief the next shift and, and on and on it goes. So, uh, we get a variety depends from, you know, air carrier, air medevac, uh, um, civil people who are just looking to get their pilot's license, um, military aircraft. So we get quite the different um, dichotomy or quite the different diversity in uh, aircraft types at our airport. Yeah, I'd have to imagine. And is it something where, like, so you almost chuckled, I think, when I mentioned Breaking Bad. Is that something that's the yeah. absolute worst nightmare that you could think of in, in your line of work? I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny the um, the Breaking Bad example. It's funny because a lot of people have a reference. You know, yours is obviously Breaking Bad. The mo the majority of people. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but it's famous throughout the air traffic controller world. It's kind of a early 90s B film called Pushing Tin. I think it had John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton in it, if you've ever seen it. Okay. That's what most people imagine the job is like. And, you know, you okay. uh, you have the uh, scenes where Cusack's got all the radar picture in his head and he's sequencing planes in his head, um, you know, doing it with no support. And Billy Bob Thornton's got a eagle feather stuck in his ear and it, you know it's just absurd <laughs> but most sure. people uh, buy the hollywood representation of it and it's really not either as glamorous as it's presented or you know as uh you know we're all lone wolves in it for ourselves and you know it, it's just it's it's kind of funny but uh yeah it's it's really kind of more of a an amalgamation between you know just a regular office and uh, just having different priorities. Our priorities are ultimately to make sure that everybody takes off and lands safely and transitions the airspace safely. And if we can do that without incident, it's been a successful day. Yeah, agreed. Um, no doubt. I I guess I, I don't know that reference. I would be, if I didn't bring up Breaking Bad, I probably would have brought up Airplane, but I don't know if yeah. that's a good reference to use either. <laughs> That would have been my second reference beyond Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it's funny. Everybody's got one, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was going to ask, one of my questions was, why the twins? Because uh, you said you lived in Virginia, so I didn't know the connection was, but uh, it's pretty obvious that if you grew up in the state of Minnesota that I can see a natural reason for why you would have liked the Minnesota team, but why why did you like the Twins? What What is it about Minnesota baseball and why you're still following it that you enjoy following it and being participating in it, I guess? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I guess the, the Twins really would go back to, I guess, being a kid and 
being with my grandmother a lot, like I said, my parents were really not into baseball, but my grandma really was. And uh, the first thing she ever gave me that I remember was uh, a poster of the 87 Twins World Series. Hmm. Um, And I have no idea why, but I think that thing hung in my room until I graduated. And, um, you know, as far as uh, carrying that through, um, you know, my sister and I would always um, go outside and we'd play ball in the front yard like I think most people do. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. she would either be Kirby Puckett or Chuck Knobloch, depending on the day. And, uh, you know, <laughs> because she was such an adamant fan, I had to be somebody else. And, uh, you know, I was a baseball fan. Uh, I knew far more about it than, um, you know, my, my dad did even at, you know, 10 years old or, or however mm-hmm. old I was at the time, I suppose. Um, so I would always choose Frank Thomas. If I couldn't be a twin, I was going to be Frank Thomas. So, you know, my dad would watch us outside and, you know, my sister would be Kirby Puckett trotting around the outfield and, you know, at bat would be Frank Thomas. So my dad thought I was some adamant, uh, Chicago White Sox fan, but (laughs) anyway, it was, it, it was one of those things where, you know, baseball for me has always been, um, one of those things where it's, just been in my core and I I can't really explain um, other than I think everybody that listens to this podcast kind of has that same feeling. And uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, I've listened to, um, you know, since you've reached out to me, listened to a lot of the past episodes. I think a lot of people can relate to that type of feeling. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's, kind of what I'm shooting for. I'm, I'm looking for the reasons why people like baseball and I appreciate your answer, but you mentioned um, your grandma loving baseball. How did she, do you remember how she described the game or why she, or what she loved about it? Was, was it specific players or how did she bring oh, sure. you into, into the game? I guess what, what was it about yeah. her love of it that, that brought you in? Well, that's, that's great. Actually. I mean, she was, she was the one that would watch it and my dad would have something else on or my mom would have something else on and she would insist on watching the game. So it was just something I always associated with her. When she would come over, we would be watching baseball and I would watch it with her. Um, In 91, I remember uh, helping my grandma program the VCR so we could (laughs) tape the 91 World uh, World Series and have it for perpetuity. Um, And we did. And... uh, you know, after that, it was just, you know, it was something I associated and really connected with and grew up loving. Sure. Well, so I, my great grandma um, was one that uh, she passed away when I was, I believe, eight years old. So I, I don't have a lot of physical memories of her anymore just because time's passed, but I have memories of what people have described about her to me. And I remember specifically whenever I would talk to her on the phone or whenever I would go to her house and she lived in a town called Rozo, um, uh-huh. way oh, northern yeah. Minnesota, kind of by world. Yeah. yeah. And um, she always wanted to play catch. She would always call and say, do you want to play catch in the ditch? And that was just the thing. And we absolutely played catch. And I think that was one of the first memories I have of um wanting to do catch of any kind, even though my dad was a big baseball fan too. But um, I 
I think it was my great grandma that I, I had the first memory, like distant memory of wanting to physically do do that action together because I I don't remember it as a five year I don't have any memories as a five year old anyway, but the the notion that she wanted to play catch, like that was the first person I remember wanting to do that with me and I think it's cool that your grandma brought that to you. I think it's just a really neat memory to have. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, it still is obviously special to me, but, uh, you know, other than, other than that, I mean, I, I uh, grew up with it. Uh, I associated it with my grandma mostly and, uh, you know, past that, um, I didn't play any, I mean, I think I, I didn't play any baseball past eighth grade. I just wasn't very good at it. Uh, I'm not sure if it was hand-eye coordination or what it was, but, uh, you know, I just was never any good at it. I would um, sit in the garage in the wintertime and, uh, you know, mittens and whatnot and throw the baseball against the wall to play catch with myself. I loved the game. I just couldn't play it for the life of me. (laughs) So when you did play uh, little John Olson, when you were playing, what position did you want to be? Was it, other than Frank Thomas, was there a player that you tried to emulate or throw like or swing like? Was was there somebody that you or certain players that you loved? You mentioned your sister like Chuck Knobloch and Kirby, but oh, were there other yeah, players no, that you I, tried to throw like? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was as big a Kirby Puckett fan as any kid growing up in the 90s was, I think. Um, sure. It was just a, one of those battles where I wasn't going to fight my sister for it. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I loved Kirby. There was nothing, um, nothing he could do wrong for the longest time. And, uh, I, I tried to emulate most of the things off of him. And ultimately when I would get placed in right field and little league or, you know, in right field or sit on the bench, it was, you know, they're saving my bat or, you know, Kirby played right field for a little while. So it can't be that bad. So, uh, you know, I do those little things. Um, but yeah, I guess other than Kirby, I really enjoyed, um, you know, Cal Ripken. I really enjoyed Frank Thomas. I really enjoyed a lot of those players back in the early '90s. That, uh, you know, uh, you know, they're all Hall of Famers at this point. But, um, you know, I, I guess mm-hmm. I always really wanted to be an Iron Man like Cal. I re- always really wanted to have that uh, pop like Frank Thomas, and I really always wanted <laughs> to have the ability to run around because I wasn't exactly the smallest kid in school. Um, so I really <laughs> always thought I was as fast as Kirby, even though, you know, Kirby had the, the girth and whatnot. So <laughs> he sure did. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you said you didn't want to, I'm not talking about sibling fighting. I have a sister too, but, uh, was your sister the older or the younger of the two of you? Uh, my sister is younger than I was. Yeah. She's a couple of years younger. Okay. Was she, was she better at baseball in terms of not necessarily just with you competing, but was it more her softball, baseball, her sport as far as playing? Oh yeah. My, my sister was, and still is much more athletically inclined. She runs marathons (laughs) still to this day. Uh, So yeah, she could, she could hurdle me out there and it was no (laughs) joke. She was, she was and still is really good and still could beat me in, in about anything. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I'm sure she appreciates the fact that you let her be Kirby Puckett back in the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to think that I contributed something. <laughs> I have to imagine that's the case. 
Well, yeah, so uh, I wanted to touch base with you on this podcast before anything else because of the writing that I've appreciated your your doing um, that I've seen over the last few months. How how long have you been? I guess I'm only really fully aware that you were involved with Twins Daily first for maybe the last four, five, six months. How long have you been? How long have you had your hand at writing? I guess about sports to get away from. Um, reality or, or however uh, we can just start with that how long have you been writing about baseball uh it, it probably has been about that time frame the last time I really think I seriously sat down and did something it was really and I have to give uh Ted Schwarzler uh, a lot of credit for this because I would read his stuff all through 16 17 and I would shoot him twitter messages and we would go back and forth uh, quite a bit, and um, you know, I think I sent him a DM on Twitter, and I said, uh, you know, Ted, you should really have me on off the baggie because I think I could contribute something. Uh, you know, I do, I don't need to get paid; just let me write something. And uh, he said, mm-hmm. you really just need to check out Twins Daily and uh, put something on there. Uh, if you have good stuff, um, you know, I'm more than happy to forward it. And uh, you know, he was very gracious about it. I think I went on there, I think my first piece, and it was probably very terrible. Uh, it was um, <laughs> more or less about uh, Joe Maurer and the end of an era, uh, the upcoming expiration of his mega contract. And, uh, you know, I I had that out and I started watching the view count go up and uh, people making comments and I got a little bit more excited. And uh, <laughs> I put out a few more pieces and uh, really... I think my uh, piece I'm most proud of on Twins Daily was probably done back in October of, of 17. I wrote a piece um, on Ryan Dozier's extension, and I kind of did a deep sure. dive into um, whether or not the Twins should re-sign him and how second baseman age and um, if we were to re-sign him, what should the contract look like? And uh, Ted took the time to um, forward that on. It did very well. Uh, so I think Good. in the past six months, um, it has really been the time frame where I've been writing. And uh, as of right now, I've been aiming for at least one post a week. And since I've uh, kind of latched on with Puckett's Pond, um, it's more or less two. And I get to do different things. So uh, with Puckett's Pond, I try and do a little bit of, I guess, shorter work. Uh, the word count is least, at least, um, where I would do a piece, and I would still put a lot of effort, a lot of work into it. Nate Palmer and, and John Geiger do a, a great job on that site. Sure. Um, it, it's just a little bit more short form, whereas um, when I can do my own thing at 463 blog, I can go into long form and I can do collaborations. I have a little bit more, I guess, you know, leeway to do what I'd like to do. Um, but both platforms are, are equally great. Yeah, so before we get into some of your um, articles, which I wanted to bring up, I'm, I'm curious what, since you have experience writing for both websites, I was curious just your opinion on, kind of mentioned it a little bit, but how how is the content at Puckett's Pond and Twins Daily, how would you view it as as 
similar or different? Um, the content at Pockets Pond is very well done for one. Uh, other than that, it's a little bit more um, controlled uh, as far as they, they really make an emphasis on making sure that you're uh, not ripping off anybody else's work. They want to know that your work is original. You're not deliberately plagiarizing anybody. Um, they encourage you to, you know, go in, cite sources, and make sure that you're delivering the correct information. And not that you are encouraged to do any of that at Twins Daily, but they uh, um, they allow you to kind of go and explore these different avenues on Twins Daily, put together your own opinion, and uh, they don't cap a word count, uh, you know, the last piece I did with Jamie uh, Cameron uh, in Twins Daily, I think we wrote over 3,000 words. Uh, and Puckett's Pond, I'm sure I could, but um, the the word count I try and hit over there is probably somewhere more around 600 to 800. Um, find the article, you know, what's the point? How does it impact you? Um, what are the, you know, ramifications and and then try and wrap it up in a neat little bow. <laughs> that sounds good. So uh, is the, how do I say this? Um, what you, I know it's not a full-time job by any means, but what you get out of an article that you get on Twins Daily compared to what you get on Puckett's Pond, is it different as far as, reader count or viewership how, like how does that work as far as what you're looking for when you post an article on either website um i i mean as far as i'm concerned i you know i want people to read my things i certainly don't expect it um but you know as far as the puckets pond stuff goes they actively track the viewership and i can actually look at who's viewing you know well not directly but you know i can i can <laughs> see kind of what my reader count is and I can see you know if and when it ever gets pulled by some of their associate sites like um, Bleacher Report and Sports Illustrated and other things so you can get linked to and you generally end up you know higher on a Google search for Puckett's Pond if you were just to search like um, if you search Buck, uh, Buxton Extension in Google mm -hmm. my article will be like second in the Google count um, so, yep. um, you know, that's, that's one thing that you will see that, uh, Pockets Pond does exceptionally well. And then on the flip side, the exceptional portion of Twins Daily is, um, the community just can't be beat. That, mm -hmm. um, atmosphere that you get, the, the inclusivity of everybody getting to participate and having an active voice and whether or not that's in the forums or whether or not that's um, people trying to, you know, explore their own blog or start their own blog, uh, reading the articles, making comments, uh, there is nothing like the, the Twins Daily uh, community. Sure. So, okay. Um, my general question is about, let's say somebody is like you were six months ago and wanting to start uh, – creating writing or creating content, how how would you recommend somebody get started and doing what you have done? What would be the points you would tell somebody that they should do? 
Uh, I guess I would first start by um, identifying what you want to write about and what you think you can do that nobody else is doing or that you think you can do better than somebody else. Um, and obviously you're going to start uh, in a place where you're a little bit more raw, but, you know, for instance, like there's a, a ton of people talking about a certain subject. Let's say that's um, should the twins extend Byron Buxton or should the twins, mm-hmm. um, you know, extend Brian Dozier. There's plenty of articles out there and you can find them anywhere. If you want to say um, should the twins extend Byron Buxton because of this metric or should the twins steer clear because of something else, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm going to be quite honest that my, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to get fairly negative responses because I'm, I'm trying to do a look into uh, Brent Rooker and uh, why twins fans should be uh, a little leery because the last college player with his kind of background, I guess, as far as uh, the accolades and and being as advanced as he was coming out of college. The last hitter that I remember getting drafted like that was Mike Zimino. Um, So, you know, and and I can't imagine a lot of people are going to want to hear that Brent Rooker has a a guy writing about him making him Mike Zimino cop. So, you know, you just have to kind of identify what you – what you're going to bring to the table, and then you have to find a platform. Um, and Twins Daily is a great platform to start on, to be quite honest. You can hop on, create a blog if that's what you'd like to do, or you can um, you know, become an active member in the forums and, and try and put your, your opinion out there. But if you really do want to start to write, um, the, the blogs really are the place to go. Uh, there's a, a ton of traffic there. Uh, people are very good. There's very little negativity inside the um, uh, comment section. And uh, other than that, I guess, really, you just have to be willing to put in the work. People will start to identify your blog with your name if you're consistent. Mm-hmm. And if you can say, you know, Ted publishes his Off the baggy every Thursday. I try and do mine every Friday. Jamie's pretty much the same Friday or Saturday um, with mm-hmm. with their blogs. And people start to associate your work with the time frame and uh, and they'll actively go and ser- you know search you out. Sure. Thank you. And um I guess I I from this point we could talk about specific talkers articles that you have written on if that works for you. Sure. Well, yeah, so for people that haven't read your article yet, and they should, um, regarding a potential Buxton extension, what would you be comfortable with in terms of if the Twins were going to uh, approach Buxton for an extension? What would be your thoughts on that? Unless you think people should go to your article too instead, which I <laughs> No, no, right I, I mean, absolutely go and read the article. I have nothing to say. Um, <laughs> no, but really Buxton's extension to me, and I think I tweeted it out not too long ago, but really sure. if, if he's willing and you're able, then I do that every day and twice on Sunday. Byron Buxton to me is the kind of talent that uh, doesn't come around very often and you really want to try and lock him up 
And I would approach it similarly. Obviously, the dollars are going to be different considering the time frame, but um, to like an Evan Longoria extension back when he signed his in uh, 2008 uh, prior to reaching arbitration. I think he signed a six-year, 17-point-something million-dollar extension. Uh, now I don't think Buxton would go nearly that low, uh, or, or the Twins would love him to, but I, I guarantee mm-hmm. he wouldn't take it. But uh, that would be the avenue I would explore. You sign him to you know, something like a six-year, uh, which I think would eat up two years of his first free agent years, to something like a Correct. 70 or 75 uh, million dollar extension, and then if you really wanted to, again like uh, like Longoria in 2012, you can uh, approach him with another six year, hundred plus million dollar contract if he's performing, and if he's not, mm-hmm. then I think at that point you can you can eat those dollars, uh, and he's really probably even defensively uh, purely uh, because speed uh, really doesn't slump. Um, you can probably eat that six-year, $75 million contract if you're the Twins for Byron Buxton, even if the bat doesn't uh, ever get any better. And I don't believe that's the case. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm with you. Uh, Buxton right now, according to Spot SpotRack.com, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, uh, has four years left of team control. And if I'm the Twins, I'm hoping for a six-year deal or a seven-year deal to take out two, if not three years of free agency. But if I'm Buxton, I can see why he would want to hit free agency sooner than that. So the Twins would have to make it worth his while to sign for the free agent years, which they should absolutely do if they're attempting to broach an extension with him. And it's it's an interesting subject because I'm I'm – I'm absolutely agreeing with you on the belief that he is bar none the most talented player on the roster right now. I don't I don't see it as really that close. Dozier obviously right. has more of a track record and that's not really comparable either, but just for a pure talent talent standpoint, I think Buxton is the best player on the team and I don't think it's that close and to be no, able to I lock would, him up for agree. a number of years would be ideal if you're the twins and I'm I'm kind of hoping they can start those discussions now and maybe in the next six months, year, eighteen months have an extension signed. That's my that's my hope, I guess. I would I would completely agree with that. And I I don't think it's really probably gonna happen in season as far as talks go. They generally don't. Uh but I think next season uh you or next off season after the 2018 season has expired i think that's definitely one of the first things on my list if i'm going to try and get it done and really not only do you have another year where you're able to kind of extrapolate his numbers but uh i really do think that second half slash line of his where he hit 300 and had a Mm -hmm. uh, a slugging percentage over 540 i think uh, that's legit. I, I really think the bat's going to play, and I think that's going to show this year. And I, that's why I think the dollars are going to be big when it comes to doing his, you know, six or seven year extension. Um, you know, I know uh, I mentioned in my article, like uh, you know, Mike Trout and Evan Longoria both signed theirs, and they had some, you know, things on the wall by the time 
they sign their extensions, and it might be the mm-hmm. same for Buxton, and that might come this year, you know, where you get, you know, he's already got the gold glove, the platinum glove. It wouldn't surprise me even a little bit um, to see him as uh, an all-star for the Twins this year uh, and potentially more. Yeah, I I think this year if everything goes right and he's healthy and it's playing like he was in the second half, I think he's going to be the the representative for the Twins at the All Star Game. If not, there could be other players attending also. But I just I just, I think he's in for big things this year, and and that's my hope for him to be able to finally realize all of his potential for a full season. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely in agreement. And I mean, the guy is only 24 years old. Even if you let him play mm-hmm. another year and sign him to a seven-year, now you're looking at a 32-year-old Byron Buxton who's played and hopefully, you know, played beyond what his fan graphs value would would track in relation to his contract, and you're able to get several years of, of productive play out of him, hopefully at that superstar level. Sure. Well, so one of the other, um, if I'm Googling your name, and Puggett's Pond, which I am doing. One of the other yeah. uh, articles that you've also mentioned recently is Brian Dozier's impending free agency. And I'm I'm curious what you, if you were in Thad Levine's shoes, among others, he's not the only decision maker, but um, if you yeah. were in charge of potentially Brian Dozier being a twin for 2019 ongoing, what would you do in that situation as far as his potential extension or how, how would you handle Brian Dozier, I guess? Uh, I guess I look at this one of two ways. I mean, I can absolutely understand wanting to extend Brian Dozier. He is your clubhouse guy. He's your clubhouse leader. He's a very productive player. He led the team in war. Um, he's uh, probably the second. He's not probably, he probably is the second best second baseman, not named, uh, you know, Jose Altuve in mm-hmm. Major League Baseball. Um, so I can absolutely understand wanting to extend Brian Dozier. Um, to me, after doing a little bit of research, second basemen don't age well. You look at guys like, um, Brandon Phillips, when they get paid big, they're, it's very much a diminishing returns. Uh, Chase mm-hmm. Utley, uh, kind of the same way. Um, e- even a guy like Daniel Murphy, who hasn't quite dropped off the planet, uh, still isn't producing like 2015 into his contract, which is a little bit of a different story. He's not exactly making huge money, um, but it is a situation of a second baseman who's over 31 years old uh, on a contract and watching, uh, you know, just the way that the position, I'm not sure if it's the demands of the position or what, uh, but typically they don't age well. Uh, So for me, if I was to approach Brian Dozier with a contract extension, it would be with an understanding that, a positional change would have to be on the table. Um, And I'm not sure whether or not um, Brian Dozier can actively play third base, but that's where I would put him, or that's where I would want him uh, to be open to playing. Um, With Miguel Sano's titanium rod and um, just some some of the issues that he's had with his weight and whatnot, uh, and kind of the writing's a little bit on the wall that 
they would like to shift them over to first base anyway once uh, Maurer is done. Um, I think that would be a nice natural shift. It would give uh, Gordon a nice place to sit because I don't think he's going to project as a shortstop in the bigs. So you could shift Gordon there, Sano moves to first, and uh, now you kind of have, you know, Gordon who's kind of projecting to be a, a decent regular. You're keeping Dozier on, let's say, like a three-year deal till he's 35. Or you can just let him take free agency and let him walk, take the qualifying offer. Um, I think it's a definite possibility that Brian Dozier takes the qualifying offer um, anyway, just purely because it's going to be over $17.4 million. He's never made that much money in his entire career. And the mm-hmm. next free agent class, I'm pretty sure, has Manny Machado, Josh Donaldson, Clayton Kershaw. There's a lot of star power. Uh, Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. I think, is in this too. So, yep. um, so you've got a lot of star power. It's very top-heavy. I can see that if he hits free agency and gets tendered a qualifying offer, uh, he might be very well inclined to take that for one year and try and hit a different free agent class. So um, I think that's a definite possibility. But if he does decide to go, you kind of have a Nick Gordon, and you have Polanco, who's another interesting name, who I really think is going to um, take a step at being a, a very solid regular at, at shortstop. Uh, but you have Nick Gordon, who is, again, projecting to be uh, probably not a shortstop, probably your second baseman. He's he's not going to be, I don't think, as exciting as uh, um, you know some of the other names in the prospect line, in the pipeline. But uh, he's probably going to be a solid second baseman or, or at least an average major league regular. And you're not going to lose a ton of production, but you are going to lose, you know, the home runs because he's not going to be that basher. He's not a dead pull hitter. He's not going to hit mm-hmm. 42. So I, I, there are options. It will be interesting to see. If it was me, I would probably go the uh, route of tendering him the qualifying offer, see if he takes it. If he takes it, it's not the end of the world. Um, you've got Brian Dozier for one more year. He's still going to be 32 years old, still relatively productive, and, uh, you know, even if he's not a five-war player like he was last year, even if he's a 2.3-war a player or a 1.9-war player, you've still got very good value for your, you know, whatever, $17.9 million qualifying offer. Sure. I'm kind of with you there, too. Dozier will turn 31 in a couple of months. He'll be um, – in May, he'll be 31. But I – I'm kind of with you there too, as far as um, I, I can see him wanting a four or five year deal. I was trying to parse this out in my head earlier today too, because I, I feel like a three year deal is a perfect amount of years for the twins, unless they were just going to go the qualifying offer route. Because right. I, I don't know that I can think of a lot of teams that either are close to winning or need a second baseman for the free agent market going forward. I I can't see the Yankees with their infield prospects they have coming up along with possibly going after Manny Machado. The Cubs aren't going to be in on him. The Astros are obviously have Jose Altuve. Um, 
the the teams I was coming up with that maybe even would be potentially in on Dozier were maybe the Angels, possibly. Maybe the yep. Dodgers, if you could skew it to where they, they still need the second baseman, but I'm not certain that's even the case. And and maybe somebody like the Padres or the Phillies, necessarily, if they're closer to a winning window come next offseason than they are right now. But I, I don't know what his market would even look like as far as competition right. um, six months from now, eight months from now. It's It's hard to say. So... For for people that are wanting the Twins to throw four or five years at them right now, I, I feel like that would that, that would be bidding against themselves right now because I don't I don't know that there are any other teams that would be open to giving him that long of a deal at this time. Right, I, I completely agree and really hit the nail on the head. If you're if you're giving him a four or five year deal, three years is probably the sweet spot in that. Uh, anything longer than that, you're bidding against yourself. And really, you're ending up in a situation, like you mentioned, with the Dodgers and maybe the Angels, and God bless the Pirate, uh, Padres. I'm not sure you know, why they continually throw money at guys like Eric Hosmer um, mm-hmm. continually. Well, they but, have money, um, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I guess you have it, you can spend it, it's not mine. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah, you, you end up in a situation where it's maybe – you know, maybe the Angels or the Dodgers. And uh, I know the Dodgers have been actively trying to get underneath their luxury tax threshold and, you know, throwing uh, Brian Dozier a, you know, whatever it's going to end up being, I'm sure he could end up getting, you know, something akin to, you know, a four- or five-year deal uh, if they were willing to give him something like that at, you know, what does that end up being, $80 million, uh, mm-hmm. Now you've got to kind of look at where that puts you in the luxury tax, where they're still looking to get underneath that. The one LA Dodgers came for sure, and uh, the Angels are notorious for constantly, um, you know, getting near or above that line also. So I think a lot of that comes into play. And I do think the second baseman market is very weak as far as the need for one goes. A lot of people and uh, a lot of smart people um, look at this and say second base really isn't – it's a luxury position, and having a Brian Dozier is a luxury. And uh, they're not willing to shell out if it's not for, you know, a center fielder or a a shortstop or a young Mm -hmm. uh, controllable pitcher. Sure, that's that's where I'm at too, I guess. Um, If he is a twin – for the next couple, three, four years, five years, I'm all for it. But I, I, I guess I'm just setting myself up to see the potential reality of him maybe playing somewhere else. And part of me is okay with that because of the potential for Nick Gordon and Wander Javier and, of course, Royce Lewis coming up. But he he is somebody that is a homegrown player is is hard to want to give up I guess and it's just a oh. it's a hard line to really understand. No, I I completely get it. I mean that's just when especially in Minnesota for some reason I'm sure it's like that in other places. But um, you know in Minnesota we tend to you know throw a lot of attachment to our homegrown players and Brian Dozier is no different. And a lot of people 
would just throw bags of money at him just so he can sit in the twins uniform and retire. And it's hard to argue with that. He's such a, you know, he's such a adamant clubhouse guy. He's a hard on his sleeve, all hustle kind of a, kind of a player. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of player you want to have on your ball club. Um, so, you know, I get that. And on the other hand, you know, he's got to have the ability to, explore free agency and you know there's been even some chatter about you know possibly going to Atlanta I think he's from Georgia uh, originally sure. so you know I'm sure that that could be a possibility I know the Braves are another one of those teams that are you know possibly up and coming in the next couple of years so you know that that's a potential landing spot for Dozier as well sure well Okay, so there was a tweet the other day, I think yesterday maybe or today, I don't remember exactly, but where you said you had a dream, this is completely unrelated, that you yeah. thought the Twins had made a trade, maybe a three-team trade, and ended up with Zach Godley of the Arizona yeah. Diamondbacks. And yeah. I was curious if you did any research for what a dream like that means in terms of uh, your your dream happening or not is there a reason for a dream like that happening or why why would you think that you had that happen when you were dreaming yeah it was it was so odd actually you know it was one of those it was one of those nights where I'm, I'm going to bed late and I have to wake up early and I go to bed and you know, my, my ritual's fairly the same. I'm scouring Twitter for Twins News or I'm on fan graphs or I'm on one of these sites. And um, anyway, I had done some sort of research into Zach Godley. And this kid is very impressive. I'm not sure if you've seen mm-hmm. any of his stuff. He has got some off speed that will just buckle you. He's disgusting. It's great. Sure. Um, anyway, I was watching some of Zach Godley's stuff. I went to bed. I woke up early, drove into work, and I am not sure why, but my first thought was, I'm pretty sure the Twins got Zach Godley. I'm pretty sure there was a three-team trade that I read about last night, and I went and scoured, and I looked, and I was trying, and I was, you know, I finally hit the realization that I had completely made all this up, and I must have dreamed it because there was no reason to think it other than that. Um, so, yeah, it was a bummer. It, it was a bummer to wake yeah. up and not, you know, and find out that the Twins hadn't, you know, stolen one of the uh, the Diamondbacks' most prized pitching prospects from them. So, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really kind of a hit. Sure. Well, uh, so if people are interested and are on YouTube or, or Twitter or whatnot and want to see um, – what we're talking about, look up Zach Godley knuckle curve. That's that's one of his pitches that really sticks out to yeah. me. And and yeah. he he made Shohei Otani look like I was facing him basically yeah, with the exactly. movement on that looked like a wiffle ball basically. And it was it it was just really impressive the movement that he had. So I I can see why um, you could get excited thinking about adding somebody that had that kind of movement on their fast on their any kind of pitch added to your favorite team. Oh yeah, absolutely. Godley's uh, knuckle curve, especially 
is just absolutely filthy. If you look at any of the, you know, the videos and they're, I won't say exactly pervasive online or anything like that, but you can find them. <laughs> and holy cow, do they just look like, you know, those those special little wiffle balls that you throw and they just kind of go in every direction. It's unhittable and it's really exciting to look at if anybody, you know, wants <laughs> to randomly go and look up Diamondbacks prospects. So, Sure. Well, yeah, this this hour has gone really fast. So I, I just before we end this episode, um, if one more time you could say your name and your Twitter handle and how people can get in touch with you if they want to talk twins or baseball or anything in particular. Sure, absolutely. My name is John Olson. I write the 463 blog on Twins Daily. I'm also a contributor on Puckett's Pond. And uh, you can get a hold of me uh, on Twitter anytime uh, at four underscore six underscore three, all words, no uh, numbers. So the number four, the number six, and the number three. Um, and that's ultimately we can talk baseball all day on Twitter. I'm more than happy to do it. Yeah, that sounds great. And I, I appreciate your time. This has been a fun fun hour and fun hopefully people appreciate it as much as I did but I had a fun time just chatting with you here and getting to know you a little bit this has been this has been great yeah no it was really fun I appreciate you having me on Corey and uh any other time I'd be happy to do it again let's plan on it yeah I I, I would love that let's let's uh let's look into like spring or summer sometime this year and, and catch up again that'd be good Absolutely. Yeah. Just, uh, just let me know. I'd be happy to come back on. Let's talk some more twins. Let's talk some more other things. All right. Deal. I, I will hold you to that. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that. So, all right. Well, yeah, uh, I guess lastly, then this is uh baseball is good and I hope everyone listening and I hope you, John had a good, had a good night. Yeah. Have a good night, Corey. Thank you. Yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.